We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? Hey. And uh, Dave, uh, we have another fabulous guest. We've had a fun day of interviews. I'm going to be doing one again tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern oh live. God. So I, I just, it's it be, right before the holidays, guess what happens? Right before the end of the year, everyone comes out of the woodwork for interviews, which I like. So go ahead and introduce our guest. Radha, Ronnie, Amber, Indigo, Anada, <laughs> Mitchell. Oh my God, six names. So she must be very important. She's an Australian act actress. She started her career acting in various Australian television series and films. Later appeared in Hollywood films, High Art, Pitch Black, Own Booth, Man on Fire, Finding Neverland, Melinda and Melinda, Silent Hill, and the list just goes on and on. Welcome to the show. Hi, morning, afternoon. Where are you? Where are you? Are you in Australia? I'm in, I'm in quarantine in Sydney. Um, and Sydney. I've been in, well, it must be like the morning for you, no? What is it's, it? It's midday. It's, for, it's sort of midday. Just post lunch. And uh, we're in the we're in the dark here. You're in the dark. Where are you? Where? Los Angeles, and he's in oh. Uh, Philly. Oh no, Pittsburgh. 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 West Coast. Don't say Philly. East Coast. I'm East. I'm, I'm East Pittsburgh. No, he's no, in the I'm, state that's going to no, call the next. No, I'm, we, I'm West. I'm West <laughs> Pittsburgh. Going to shout out of West Philadelphia. Just kidding. What? No, I'm in Pittsburgh North. I'm not going to ask what time zone that is. God, what time zone? No, anyway, whatever. He's Late. in Eastern. I'm in Pacific, and you're in what? I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, what do you call this? What do you call? Eastern you're in Pacific, I don't know what they call it, to be honest. I mean, I mean, Australia, whatever you call that. Well, welcome to the show, wherever you are and uh, whatever time it is. Uh, we're so happy to have you. Yeah. So, so uh, what's up? So uh, let's <laughs> just start talking, really talk about specifically enough. How have you been so surviving the quarantine and stuff in the time since COVID came? Well, um, you know, it's been, I've been around the world through this uh, mm. for, for professional reasons. I was in, the, I was at the Venice Film Festival um, and then I was in London and I was in Spain and then a lot of time just in the house in LA. Uh, so I've had this perspective, just sort of different, you know, how it's going on globally. It's different in different places and at different times. Um, and right now I'm in a room uh, in Sydney, because the protocol here is if you enter the country, you have to quarantine 14 days in a hotel, not of your choice, Ooh. until they let you out. <laughs> so you're in a place not of your choice. <laughs> Honestly, huh? not of my choice, but it's not a bad place, actually. That's my only good. gripe is that the window doesn't open. But other than that, uh, I've got a really cool view. And it's turned out to just be an opportunity to just sort of sit and catch up like with people and things and work stuff that has sort of been piling up. So it's been, I was expecting to have a complete nervous breakdown, but it's actually been <laughs> kind of fun. Are you binging <laughs> on Netflix? Yeah, I was watching that show you, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, no, I have and not. that was pretty, Oh, it's, it's worth it. Um, but now I'm like into books. I've got books. I brought toys as well because I knew it was going to be challenging. So I've got a little musical instrument. I've got a skipping rope. Oh, my gosh. Exercise <laughs> bike. I mean, you have to. <laughs> like, i got things to do. Um, yeah. And honestly, you know, the, the, even the Zoom thing, it's like a window outside of the space. And there's people, you know, lots of people to chat with. So it hasn't been bad. 
um, I have to say, surprisingly relaxing. I've heard that from other people that have done it as well, that they were expected to hate it and then ended up having a, like a, a really great time. Well, you so probably, anyway, I'm on day four. you've probably been asked this question before, but I, I'm always interested yeah. to know how a famous person was before they became famous. I mean, were you a child star? You did commercials. When did all this happen for you? When was your big break? avoided fame actually i don't know if i'm a famous person i'm so well, you hang you work. hang out with famous people so i hang out with famous people um i have yeah and what was i doing before that <laughs> that long ago huh <laughs> i don't think i've changed since i was a kid same sort of stuff um just in repeats um so yeah, I grew up in Melbourne uh, with a single mom. Uh, I had this little fantasy about being an actress, you know, a, a bunch of ideas about things to do as a grown up um, and ended up doing a show when I was 13, like a show uh, based on set in the 1920s. It was a kid's show and it was about these two girls who go stay with their grandmother and you know stay away from home to go to a kind of like a boarding school type situation and um got the, sort of the taste i guess felt like that would be a fun thing to do and then later on after finishing school and i was at university studying media and psychology i think for a little while um started doing tv shows, guest roles and then ended up making a film that went to the Cannes film festival that was directed by a compadre, this young woman. Um, so we ended up uh, somehow having access to these agents and managers and getting um, getting a sort of footstep into Hollywood. Uh, but it was all like yeah, just sort of strange how it all worked out. I had plans, but they were very kind of like ideas of how things would get done. And it ended up being that way. Was your mom, your manager and your agent when you were younger, you know, like... Brooke Shields no, was and she had a wing no, I mean, off of that. that. No, no. I mean, she probably would have thought that could have been a fun role, but no, she'd <laughs> also been, she was a model in the sixties. Oh. Uh, so for that reason, she got me into modeling as a child. And then from there I got this job, but I, I didn't I, pursue modeling. Um, and I didn't even really pursue acting really till I finished school. But, um, yeah, I guess she kind of gave me, didn't give me the idea so much about She's acting, guiding. but certainly me in, in places where I, there was opportunity. Yeah. That's great. There, see, and that's, that's awesome. And so tell us specifically, what would you say was your, one of your fondest memories as an actress? What would you say? Fondest memories as an actress. Um, I mean, maybe the first movie we made, the one that I was talking about, it was a movie made <clears throat> with a bunch of my roommates at university and they were acting in the movie. And my friend's dad paid for the movie. It was very low budget. And that was the movie that ended up going to the Cannes Film Festival and getting sold for a million dollars to Fox Searchlight. And suddenly we were like, wow, the adventure begins. You know, we'd been just cool. <laughs> <laughs> like hanging out with Al Pacino on the yacht. Um, so that was just like very surreal times um, and was a real adventure for everyone involved. But 
um, from then on, uh, there's just been some really amazing experiences. We made a movie in India. I'd always wanted to make a movie in India. And then just all this kind of serendipity around that process. Um, we made a very beautiful story and, you know, got some really close friends from that project. Uh, that was amazing. And then Man on Fire, I think, was one of my favourite films to work on just because of the, the talent involved and just the, the excess of the project. Uh, trying to think recently. Recently, we made this movie on an iPhone in the house like, mm. during lockdown. And that was fun. It was a friend of mine directing from her apartment with various actors from their houses. Um, not quite sure whether it's going to be like a great film, but it was um, a valent kind of, you know, response to to the situation yeah. of being, you know, under constraint and still being creative. Um, so that was great. Um, yeah, the, I mean, someone reminded me the other day that I've played 72 characters. So wow. each one of them has been an experience. Google her, Dave. Google her. She's been in a lot of things. <laughs> I know. The list just goes on and on and on. I schizophrenic like 72 characters <laughs> but, um, you know it's, it's a great window outside of your own mind you know just different I've been in like so many different countries so seen different things not only been in different countries but different times um, so imagining life and imagining uh, the world in these different constructs you know through the minds of some really brilliant writers mm. so some of the characters I played, I didn't even really understand because I just felt like I was too young at the time. I didn't realize it, but I just hadn't had the experience to know what really what I was talking right. about. And it's later in life when you look back at it and go, oh, I kind of get that now. Um, wish I was doing it now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. So how did you get the opportunity to, to do the film The World Without You? just sort of came in the email box like you're interested in this um and, and it was interesting it's based on a, an interesting novel um and i just i felt like it was a, an opportunity for a real character study uh you know the intimate part of acting is just you know the moments between people and um there's a lovely cast in the project and I think, you know, so many of us, you know, the families, you know, family. And yet, if you get to the bottom of all these relationships and these expectations and, you know, what we are and aren't getting from the people we love, um, there, there is an acceptance and there's a closeness. You know, we are so identified with where we came from. Yeah, Lily had to deal with a lot of grief and loss. Where did you draw upon that? Did you have some grief in your life, personal experience? Um, I must have. <laughs> I mean, we all. Yeah, you must have. <laughs> you just. I mean, I don't want to talk. Shoved it down somewhere. Squashed it far away. Yeah, no, no, certainly. I'm thinking of like death, you know, that kind of abrupt death i haven't actually experienced something where somebody very close to me has just gone um not 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 like a brother or you know or 
I think with your with your parents or grandparents or you know you, there's we're all on a journey so we're we're going to go at some point mm-hmm. and there's a period of kind of acceptance of that and nothing that's like been so shocking um you know people that have been close to me when they've died and when it's been too early for them it's never been that early that it's, it felt like a complete tragedy um but there has been that space where where people have died and i've felt oh wow i didn't realize how important yeah. that person was um and i really appreciate it in retrospect you know that that i was loved in that way or you know that exactly. that person was there and there's also that reminder of like oh my god i'm i want to leave now i think death always kind of wakens us to to just to be so present with things yes so i think you know these characters in the story uh, there's that feeling and then there's just that the, the pain i think i mean for my character and, and she's also um created this hero out of somebody brother being constructed in the story um but i think that's sort of the shadow of the story but you know it's about but really i think it's about familial relations and you know the thanksgiving that we all have to go to or the christmas that we yeah. expect is going to be the, you know, we want, we don't expect, but we all want it to be this fantastic thing where everybody's hugging and sharing, you know, sharing stories and it's all easy, but often it's just this mirror to, to the dysfunction that's already there. And we hope that over time we overcome it and are able to just love each other. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of hurdles often in the way, but at the same, those relationships are the most significant and, and the most important. How would you say this character you played versus other characters? Would there be another one that's like the character you played in this movie? Um, another character like this character? No, I don't think really? so. I mean, I mean, I've played acerbic characters that are not super likable. I, I don't think this character is super unlikable. I think she's sort of the black sheep of the family. Um, and it's an interesting family because it's, you know, everybody's dealing with, you know, what they're, they're going through personally in different ways. Some of them have become very traditional in their religious beliefs. She, on the other hand, has become very politically opposed to the beliefs of her family and also, um, you know, is, is kind of an atheist. Um, some kind of an artist, some kind of an adventurer, explorer, hasn't even managed to settle down in her own life. Um, but there's something authentic about her, um, and I think that's what I liked about her. She, she'd say her own, she'd speak her own truth, um, and I think that was what was good, you know, fun about that character. Dave, you're on mute, but I'll just go right to the next question while you hit your next question. So um, kind of going into this, uh, the movie and everything, what would you tell our listeners out there why they should see the film? Um, why should they see the film? Why should anyone see anything? <laughs> it's a new film. I think 
it's great because it's like it's a it's whenever there's a new movie I'm always curious I, you know there's characters sort of in their you know 30s that's to me always sort of a youth obsessed story um and we can all relate to the sort of family drama oh my god and the fact they survive it and 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 find peace with each other you know through these sort of trying times i think that's kind of sweet about it the story I mean, I think particularly if you're from a Jewish family, you could maybe relate to this in a very specific way. Um, so I think that, you know, particular audience might find it very close to the bone. Um, and all of, you know, people that have experienced grief and, you know, the family kind of process around that, I think will relate. It, it's just kind of a movie where you can just sort of unpack your own crap and like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, it's it's personal and that it has no feeling to it. It's perfect yeah. timing, especially another quarantine coming in the United States. So people need to see the film for sure. And we'll, we'll ask where to find information again on the film last time. But Dave has one final question for you, Rada, and it's involving caregiving and why he's called Caregiver Dave. Dave <laughs> asked the question. Uh, well, I am Caregiver Dave, and uh, um, my wife had a stroke about 24 years ago. She had a, a headache, lost her speech, became paralyzed. And so my life has changed, yet uh, we can either become bitter or better from our life experiences, as you kind of alluded to in, in uh, the film. But uh, it, it was pretty hard for a couple of years. We almost broke up, but we reinvented ourselves, and uh, she reinvented herself. Uh, we started... Um, uh, deciding that if we're still around, God has a purpose for us here. So now we travel the world and we share with caregivers how to stay alive because 30% of them actually wow. die from the stress because they don't know how to put their own oxygen mask on first, you know? And I like to say that uh, everyone is going to eventually have caregiving touch their lives. I mean, uh, it's yeah. inevitable. And if it hasn't already happened to you, uh, you know, my question to you is, um, has it happened to you or, uh, do you, do you fear that uh, maybe one of your elderly grandparents or parents or, or someone else might mm. get sick and, and you might be thrown into a, a position where you uh, might have to care for them? Wow. Yeah. Very interesting question. This <laughs> time around, I'm actually coming home to see my parents. Um, How old and, are they? And they're older, but they were, you know, old I, enough, without huh? giving I don't want to, you know, expose them too much to sure. this sort of thing. But um, I don't think my dad would mind me saying that he's recently had to be put into aged care. And mm. I've had to sort of organize that not being present, not being sure. here, tricky. Um, and then decision around that, I think I try to keep him feeling as empowered in his own experience as possible. Um mm -hmm just for his own, you know, sense of dignity, I guess. Um, would I want to surrender the next few life, like taking care of my dad? I, I think that would be overwhelming for me. So I'm glad that there's a place where he can go and that I can help support him be there and get into that space and all of, all of that that goes even around that. Um, and if it was, you know, a spouse, yeah, you can see why that would be, you know, very difficult. A friend of mine had a stroke and mm. she was a lot older and she ended up dying. But 
she, I was just really inspired by her because even when her was frozen, she, she'd always been like a party person mm-hmm. and she have her soirees, even though her body wasn't as it had been, her spirit was strongly exactly as it was, mm-hmm. but yes, caregiving, um, it's kind of what makes us human. Um, and it, it does, it can feel like a sacrifice and it can feel uh, very draining if you're not filling your own self with fuel. Um, so I'd learn more about how you guys, yeah. how you guys are that as well. Well, even at a young age, you Talk said that you, you cared for uh, a daughter, I think you said, right? No, no, no. But, um, but therefore that have been, um, that have had very difficult things happen with them. And I know that it, it can be psychically draining if you're not like keeping yourself in kind of a bubble or if you're not taking right. care of yourself. Yeah. Well, you know what? She, she has been a caregiver. So if you listens to this more, you'd understand that, but caregiverdave.com for people to know, learn more about caregiver Dave and how he can help you, especially to get through this, because we all know Rada that all of us have been caregivers in some sort of way with the coat with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. We've at one point had to help somebody or look out for somebody and that's caregiving in a lot of ways and being stuck in specific areas for long periods of time. Uh, we've had to take care of others at times for sure. Uh, where can we find information on you, follow you and stuff? Where's the best place? To follow me? Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram, I think at Rada Mitchell. There's there's somebody else. Mine is the one that says, c'est moi. <laughs> there's another Rada Mitchell. No, mine's Rada underscore Mitchell. And I think on Twitter too, Rada underscore Mitchell, something like that. I don't know. I'm not. No wonder you have six names. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's some other Rada Mitchells, but they're very nice. They seem lovely. Um, mine's the, mine's a bit more obscure mine. And it says, say moi. Yeah. And everyone can check right. out the film. Rada, where's the best place people can check out the film? This movie, um, I believe it is streaming on, hang on, let me just check on the different streamers. Um, I was not super briefed on that, but. That's okay. I, I, I believe you I can think it's available on Amazon and yeah. And all the streamers all the streams yeah. and definitely people would check it out the, the film but what's really un- unbelievable about it is i think this is the perfect time for these types of films because people can go and when they're in quarantine or if they're stuck at home there's lots of films to watch because there's not lots of new tv shows to watch so what a time now where a lot of films are coming out and no new tv so perfect timing Great. Um, and there's movies you might not have normally sort of tuned into, like interesting. And there's foreign movies. There's there's lots of interesting content. And this is, it's an intelligent movie. It's a sweet movie. Um, and I think it's something that everybody can relate to on some level. Well, we appreciate you coming by. Thanks again. And uh, hopefully you'll get through this quarantine and get back home. Uh, that's an yeah. interesting thing. Maybe you should do this in the United States when people travel. I wonder if we would decrease the spread. <laughs> I actually think, you know, unfortunately, they're only letting Australians back in. But I think this process of keeping people in a kind of a quarantine 
in India, they have this thing called a Vipassana. Um, it's like a Buddhist meditation where you just meditate for 10 days. And at the end of it, you come out sort of transformed. Um, so I think it kind of feels like if you approach this without freaking out, you do get that sort of an experience. And if you could just let other people in, not just Australians, I think you could really kind of ticker the country back back into action. Um, but it's COVID free out there. It's amazing. So anyway, I'm looking forward to opening the door. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for stopping by. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye bye. See you thanks, later. Guys. All right, guys. Uh, that was the Carry Over Dave Celebrity segment. Take care. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K through 12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit lensec.com. And now back to the show. We're back to the Neil Haley show. And, you know, when you talk about World Children's Day, you need to learn more about what World Children's Day is. And that's today. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Amanda Refson. She's the Senior Associate Community Engagement at UNICEF. Amanda, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's kind of just jump really quickly into specifically enough what people you know hear certain days but kind of tell us about world's children's day sure uh world children's day is celebrated on november 20th and it is an annual global moment for children by children and on this day unicef advocates raise awareness and raise funds for the most pressing issues facing children and this World Children's Day is actually the anniversary of the signing of the Convention on the Rights of the Child, and it marks 31 years since it's been signed. So from New York to Nepal and everywhere in between, children are taking over and turning the world blue in support of World Children's Day. And see, I think that's, that's uh, fantastic uh, to know about that 31 years. How about that? But this is really challenging, definitely for children all over the world because of COVID. And this is probably one of the most challenging times in the history of the 31 years of celebrating this day. Yeah, absolutely. And this year in particular, we're calling on children and young people to really reimagine what a more equal, just and sustainable world looks like for every single child, especially because COVID-19, while it is a crisis for everybody, 
it is a children's rights crisis. And the cost of the pandemic for children are immediate and if they're unaddressed may persist throughout their entire lives. Yeah, it's, and it needs, and we gotta look at that because so many people are hungry uh, without a home, homeless in this world. Uh, they would really have to identify the fact that children are the ones that need to be most protected. Undoubtedly, it's, you know, we're seeing millions and millions of people who are, have more food insecurity than ever before. There are millions of children who are out of school who may never return to school and children and young people will be living with the impacts of this pandemic and how the world chooses to respond for years to come. And they really need to be included in decisions that are affecting their future. So this World Children's Day, not only are we asking for children and young people to think about what the world looks like for them, but we're also asking the global community to recognize that they must listen to these children and young people and be working alongside them to design a better future. Because, you know, young people are, have been telling adults that they're worried about climate crisis for the same reasons and with the same urgency as people are now about COVID-19. So this is really the time for us to reflect on what it means for generations to come together to really reimagine the type of world that we want to create and that we want to live in. You brought up th something about, we usually think about kids that are hungry or homeless, but we never discussed the lack of education that's happened because of COVID-19. To address that more, I understand like, you know, certain school districts across the country, even though they're going virtual totally, the kids are not getting an education at all. They're not, they don't have a laptop to log into. They don't have any device to log into. And they've been missing out in education for about a year, not a year, but like at least to, close half to it. Yeah. So it's pretty close to it. So isn't that, that that's really sad. And it's an and education, such an important thing. So allowing the people that are the least, uh, you know, don't have the least resources now, not to ha even have an education is, is, is a real travesty. And I think it's changing the conversation on how we think about education because the numbers are, are honestly really drastic and really stark. Uh, you know, there's been school closures in 188 countries since April, and a lot of them are exploring alternative ways. But like you said, you know, 90% of countries have had to adopt a digital or broadcast remote means for learning policies. But what does that mean on the full scale, right? Like, we're, we're seeing it here in, in the U.S. too, that have you seen like a pre-K class try and log into Zoom? It's, it's not, it, no, it's, it's not, not great. No. Um, so of those countries that are adopting these digital platforms, only 60% have done so for pre-primary education because there may be a lack of access to broadband um, there or a lack of access to internet, or it might just be too challenging, or there's not the teachers or the resources involved to make that happen. Uh, and what we're really concerned about is that up to a billion children are currently at risk of falling behind in school because of these closures. And, you know, it's a tough call because we're closing schools to contain the spread of COVID-19. Right. That's the most important thing that we can do. But at UNICEF, we're really trying to make sure that policies and programs are adapted to ensure that those billion children aren't left behind permanently. And that's the real sad thing is that you're seeing it in all different socioeconomic backgrounds, kids struggling because of this, the, of this hybrid learning or online only learning. And then kids started to go back to school 
Now they're about to go back to online again, which is terrible for consistency. I was a, not a proponent of hybrid. I thought you either choose to be at school all the time or just have online. The hybrid model, it really did not develop any consistency for the kids at all. They would have been better off truly to be online, to be honest with you, because kids just, they can't go Monday, I'm here, then Tuesday, I'm back home, Wednesday, I'm at school, because kids just can't live in that type of thing. And then the lowest economic school districts, the poor school districts, they don't, they're just completely online. And then they're lucky if the kids even get any education. So I don't know, Amanda, how we're going to do this, but we have to really identify after this pandemic's over, which at least when there's a vaccine, how much the effects of education and how many kids are behind even further now. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that UNICEF does really well is look at the whole encompassing picture because when you're talking about kids who are out of school or they're missing days or they're like you're saying with this hybrid model that it's really disruptive to their education, UNICEF is looking at the full picture of that. We know that maybe virtual learning isn't an option for some kids. Um, globally, about three out of four students can't be reached remotely because they're in rural areas or belong to the poorest households who may not have access to remote possibilities. So we're talking about how do we prevent them, you know, the traditionally least uh, serviced or most marginalized populations are going to be even more so. Um, and how do we as a community and as an organization ensure that we are looking at that big picture. And that's not just for students, right? We need to think about teachers. They're also going through a ton of trauma right now. And if we're not taking care of our teachers, we're not taking care of our students. We need to think about psychosocial support. We need to think about mental health programs. Um, and UNICEF has been really amazing and not only addressing the implementation side, whether it's you know really cool programs like uh, remote classes being done over radio in areas that radio is maybe more accessible, mm. but also coming up with health policy that addresses some of these core issues that are going to have that long-term effect way beyond when schools open again. What are we seeing with the mental health? You know, we are saving lives by, by uh, uh, you know, social distancing and uh, staying home more than we ever did in this time period. What are you seeing mental health wise that might be the effects that might be far worse than COVID? Yeah, um, I think, you know, UNICEF has been a leader in psychosocial support for children for years. Um, it is really an area of expertise, particularly in conflict settings. And I think that we have the skills and the expertise to transfer what we normally think of an emergency or a conflict area, um, like the refugee crisis in Syria or in Bangladesh, um, or even at our own border at Mexico with Central American migrant children coming to the United States. These are areas where psychosocial support and, and trauma support have really been implemented with success. And now we're gonna have to learn how to adapt that in a global pandemic environment. There's no way that all of us don't come out of this, at least thinking a little more cautiously. Uh, you know, I live in New York City. I don't know if I'll be comfortable anytime soon going on the subway without hand sanitizer and a face mask, even after there's, uh, you know, safe procedures in place in New York City and the office is back open. But if we're not thinking about long-term mental health care, then all of the things that we're able to do for children in the short term 
aren't going to have the same as the long-term impacts that we'll see by addressing um, that psychosocial support. Absolutely. So all those different things to look at, but what you're asking people today is to take some action. And what action do you want everyone that's listening to this program to take? Oh, there's so many things that people can do. Um, My personal favorite is just having a virtual kids takeover. Um, You know, usually we would have in-person events. Uh, It's a bit more challenging these days, obviously. Um, And we take that with the most serious precautions, but children and young people in support of their, uh, their parents or their caregivers can have a takeover of an online space um, that's generally run by an adult. So in the past we've had at the office, um, kids come in and be you know CEO for the day. Um, so kids can come in and take over a local TV show. You can consider having a kid come and take over your, your podcast for a session. Um, they should really be encouraged to meet with their local decision makers and their communities take over social media accounts of influencers or prominent people through, you know, live stories or um, live posting or just regular posting. You know, we're really trying to create as much of a virtual conversation between young people and change makers about issues that are important to them. Because if we're having these conversations about changing the lives of young people, we need to hear what they have to say as well. Um, You know, we're also asking people to create change ultimately for the long term. So ideally, we're asking cities to send us profiles um, by November 13th that we can share on our challenge and asking, you know, uh, can they send young people send photos of themselves and of uh, past events or at least wearing something UNICEF or branded and tell us how you're creating change in your city Um, and we want to hear exactly what you're doing online, offline, and really just hearing from 190 countries where UNICEF is working in healthcare to create, bring safe water, nutrition, education. We want to hear how young people are doing that in their own communities too. And Amanda, the best place they can go right now is where? Uh, UNICEFUSA.org. All right, Amanda. Wow. A lot of information. I'm glad we had this education conversation because that's sometimes missing when people think of UNICEF. They think more of kids that are hungry, right? And then different things we're missing and a component with COVID-19, especially education and, and, and also just overall health and well-being of children for this day of World Children's Day. So I appreciate Yeah, UNICEF is... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. You were breaking up a little. (laughs) Um, Yeah. UNICEF is really addressing the whole child, everything from providing immunizations to education to ensure they're living in a safe and healthy environment. And we're excited to have young people turn out on World Children's Day and turn the world blue for children. All right. Thanks, Amanda, for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. and We'll be back in just a moment. Hey, hi everyone, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show and the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity handicapper Brandon Lang. Brandon, how are you? Steelers still undefeated. Uh, I, I, I feel it, man. I feel something special in 2020. This week against Jacksonville, a road dog. Now, a road uh, to be uh, – be, do you think they're going to cover against Jacksonville? You know they had the they had the snoozer against Dallas. 
Yeah, they were laying 14 in that game. Too big a number. Dallas played them tough. Um, as Ben said yesterday, it's, it, it's a place they haven't particularly played well. But I believe, and again, this is hard for me to do because I'm not a road chalk guy, never been a road chalk guy. You have a better chance of seeing God than me ever laying points on the road. But in this situation with the quarterback, young young man out of Oregon State, I, I see the Pittsburgh Steelers going down here and, and, and taking care of business. They got the Ravens on Thanksgiving coming in. Um, you would think it'd be a little bit of a flat spot, but I think Mike will have them focused. And uh, I feel I feel a lot more comfortable taking Pittsburgh minus the points than I would be the home dog of, of Jacksonville. So now the next week against Baltimore, do you think if they beat Baltimore and are ten and zero, is there a shot? running the table well i mean most certainly if you if you look at their schedule and you look at kind of kind of how their their schedule breaks i mean you're trying to picture okay where where are the losses going to happen um washington at home um i believe that their first loss of the year is going to be at buffalo that's going to be their first loss of the year and that will be their only loss of the year and then they'll probably have clinched um everything they want um indianapolis at home they'll take care of business there there's no way philip crimea rivers comes in there and, and and beats them and then let's say the chiefs have two losses and the steelers have one loss they're gonna have to play their starters at cleveland that's kind of a dangerous spot to play as well but mark this down they'll take care of baltimore they'll take care of washington the Pittsburgh Steelers will be 12 and 0 going into Buffalo and that'll be their first loss of the year. Wow. So, yeah, I'm not that high on Buffalo even though, but you you could be right especially uh that kind of a big game and how Buffalo played well against the Steelers last year and just knocked the socks off of them because the duck was What do what what do the Steelers struggle with? I which, for the most part what do they what do they struggle with? I think the run game. Mobile quarterbacks. Mobile quarterback. Okay. Mobile quarter mobile quarterbacks that can get away from pressure. But the mobile quarterbacks that can that that can extend plays and get away from pressure. Yeah, I don't and, see him and, as and that. Butler. Yeah, I see more buff ball. Yeah. Well, Josh Allen is a mobile quarterback that gets away from pressure, and he runs a lot. So, listen, I know you're a Pittsburgh homer. I get it. They're not going to go undefeated. And I guarantee you in places you don't talk about at parties, Mike Tomlin does not want to go 16-0. and 0. Crazy as that sounds, you don't want the pressure. You don't. Ask Bill Belichick in the New England Patriots. They're probably better off being 17-1 and 1 going into the Super Bowl than 18-0. There's no way with that team and Randy Moss that they should have lost, bro. You said you already have Casey going to the Super Bowl. No, I don't. I've come off that. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh matches up well with Mahomes. Okay, I don't think the KC defense is all that it's caked up to be. So I think your AFC, I think your, I think your AFC championship game could very well be Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and whoever has home field advantage is who's going to the Super Bowl. That's why they're both. You know, KC's got one loss. They got a tough game at 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 at, at the Raiders. Um, so. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens, but that's kind of where we're at now. 
All right, give me some quick picks for our listeners. Saturday college football, Pitt Panthers at home, plus three and a half over Virginia Tech. Uh, people don't realize that Pitt leads the nation in sacks, 38 this year. Uh, Virginia Tech comes off back-to-back home games, gave up 38 to Liberty. Uh, basically lost to the Miami Hurricane JV team with 13 players out for the Canes. Now they're going on the road, laying third at three and a half. Pickett is back uh, for Pitt, and uh, he makes all the difference in the world. Two weeks to prepare Pitt plus the three and a half over Virginia Tech. Saturday night, Nevada at home getting two against San Diego State. People don't realize how good Nevada is as they get ready for a showdown with Boise uh, for the conference championship there. NFL really only got one play for you. I'm going to roll the dice with the Raiders plus seven and a half over the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Raiders, who beat Kansas City earlier this year, will stand toe-to-toe with the Chiefs on Sunday. All right, BrandonLang.com to catch up with everything, right? 150 Dimer, number 10 in a row last Saturday. Nebraska gets it done outright. This Saturday, 150 Dime winner, number 11 in a row. Unbelievable. Here we go. Let's keep it it going, bro. All right, Brandon, thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it. All right, bud. See you. You listen to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. And finally, I'm getting in the holiday spirit. Uh, Again, next week when it's Thanksgiving, it'll be time to start to get the tree up the trimmings and everything. So it's time to start thinking holiday. Even COVID-19 makes us think every day is the same day. When we start seeing decorations for holiday, the holiday season up and Christmas, it'll be great. And the way to get us in the mood is our guests. So I'm excited to welcome the program, David Rao and Jocelyn Hall of Christmas in Carolina. Guys, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Hello, feeling good, feeling great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, for sure, Neil. We're, it's a pleasure to be here, man. It's it, we're just excited to go ahead and get rolling with you. I appreciate, it, David. So let's talk about how you got involved in this project, Christmas in Carolina. Well, uh, I went to school with the writer's uh, younger sister. Never met the writer before, but the younger sister mentioned uh, that I was an entertainer that was from the area and might be a great fit for uh, a project that she was uh, getting ready to to prep for. And she reached out, went over the social media and thought that I might be a good fit. After we talked it over, she started building the character a little more after my personality and we got rolling from there. Wow. And so the word Carolina, you're from South Carolina. So that's perfect to be part of that, right? Yeah, seriously. What an honor. So interesting. And so that, that the right place, right time. And I know your story a little bit. You were a basketball player before becoming an actor, right? Right, right, right. I was a basketball player like full time. I thought that was going. I thought that was going to be life. So when they say basketball is life, that was me all day. So it, it definitely helped me transition and bleed over into character and on film. You know, to carry that swagger and the demeanor of a basketball player. That was, uh, for whatever reason, 
those 15 years playing, uh, maybe that's what it was Did you play preparing overseas? for. Did you play overseas? I'm, did you play overseas? No, 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 no. I uh, I had a stint with the Manass, the G League for uh, the Indiana Pacers. Oh, really? Before there, I played Ohio Valley and Queens University of Charlotte. Okay, so you were you so the G so but never thought about going overseas. I didn't. I wasn't particularly crazy about the thought of going overseas. I, if I wanted to do it, I wanted to. Uh, although you have to take the routes to get to the biggest platform, which was na- the National Basketball Association. I wanted. Uh, I was a little impatient. I wanted to get it then and there. I didn't want to go overseas. It's amazing the living you can make in overseas. I've interviewed a lot of guys that would. You know, they were in the NBA. They were high draft pick, and then they just didn't. It didn't work out. And then they went overseas and had a great living and all that stuff. But I think you're going to be on the right track, David. It seems like your motivation and excitement, you're, you you got to go move it over to Atlanta with Jocelyn. And I see you go hook up with Tyler Perry. So that's where you need to go next, because that's the great thing. He looks for people like that. I interviewed somebody a couple weeks ago from uh, one. Uh, it'll come to me in a second, the show about, the president and stuff and it'll come to me and he basically told me hey you know tyler always look for those opportunities all right jocelyn tell me your story how you got hooked up with christmas in carolina yes so um i had a backstage account which is kind of like a little casting um website and um the writer stacy davis she reached out to me on backstage um she saw my profile and sent me over the script um i read the script loved it I wanted to audition for it. I sent in my audition and the rest is history from there. Um, that was that was around April of 2019. Um, so once I booked the role, I would say maybe a couple months later or so is when we kind of started meshing and getting together as a cast. Um, it was around June or so when DJ and I um, finally got to meet each other in person. And, you know, I tell you the chemistry from the moment we met each other was just magnetic. It really, really was. Um, so yeah, essentially that's pretty much how I got involved with the film. You got to get everyone together, but I mean, Jocelyn will help in that process, but I, I appreciate you guys both coming by. It was a fantastic uh, conversation and uh, yeah, just keep up the hard work guys. Keep the motivation. Big things will be coming and uh, we'll get through 2020 for sure. So I appreciate you guys stopping by. I'm really excited that the uh, Neil Haley Network and Total Media Network has come up with another fantastic podcast. Make sure you visit me at neilhaley.com. When we look at specific topics and questions that need to be answered, the host of this show is going to bring that knowledge. I mean, to the level that you cannot believe. And uh, so I'm excited to introduce the new show the COVID-19 vaccine show, which is going to introduce everyone to the road to the vaccine. And we're going to review every vaccine that's coming out, looking at specific reasons, what's happening, what's the effectiveness, when it gets released, all of those different things. So I'm excited to welcome the host of the show, Dr. Mark Hayden. Uh, Dr. Mark, this is such a great idea to have a show like this. Yes, we definitely need to understand. Uh, We're supposed to, as adults, be able to make decisions about our own lives. And yet we've got the CDC and the FDA. They want to make decisions about our lives. They want to make recommendations. And sadly, 
sometimes they're actually talking about taking away our rights to even decide what's going what, whether we get a vaccine or not, make it mandatory. So we need to educate ourselves. We need to have choice. And we are and we we are smart enough that if things are explained at our level, we can make wise decisions. So let's kind of break down, Mark, specifically enough your background. Tell us your background. You know, I had originally wanted to do a lot of physics, a lot of biology. And I originally thought that the purpose of your life is to make a difference in our world through, through science and through learning. I did get a, a medical degree when I was 24, practiced a lot of ER medicine. Along the way, I did about seven patents in multiple fields. I used my medical practice to, to fund a lot of my, my research that I did. And that gave me a wide, diverse background in both biology and in physics and in uh, mathematics. And uh, I had actually sponsored some spore research uh, that was um, supported by the government. And I was familiar with the dispersal of pathogens and uh, as well as electrical charges. And I approached much of uh, the disease with my background in physics as well as medicine. So that gave me a little bit of a unique insights. And so I came up with what was some unique, unique solutions. Interesting. And, you know, and so let's kind of just jump into the show, the COVID-19 vaccine show to talk about specifically enough a road to a vaccine. And when we talk about a road to the vaccine, when COVID-19 came out, everyone was rushing from even day one, right. To figure out how there could be a vaccine. Uh, we've had other, uh, types of, uh, you know, outbreaks that did not come to the United States only minimally, the swine flu, the bird flu, uh, the, the SARS, uh, Ebola came and hit really hard in certain parts of the country. Did they ever get vaccines, Dr. Mark? You know, those really did not because they did not spread all over the place. If you look at COVID, there is something very, very strange with COVID. In your entire lifetime, in the last three centuries, we've never had a respiratory virus that spread without coughing. Never. 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 Wow. Think about that. What made COVID almost impossible to stop was that it was spreading when people were not coughing. There was a association that making noise or sound made it spread. That connection has never, ever, ever been on any virus in world history, that connection has never been there. So we get asymptomatic spread when people are not running a fever. They're not coughing, and yet they're able to shoot out massive amounts of virus. We would have people, famous, quote, super spreader events, where people that are totally healthy are singing at a church and spreading it to hundreds of people at one time. 
And so none of these other viruses, no, Dr. Mark, that's right. I mentioned Ebola, SARS, right. bird flu, swine flu. They were very identifiable and you could easily quarantine these people very quickly. That's right. And so think about the way that that is spread in real simple terms is it grows asymptomatically down deep in your lungs, in your alveolus, without even bothering your original bronchus or your upper airways. So it's growing down deep in your lungs and you're actually, when you vibrate your chest through sound, you're actually exhaling it. That, that respiratory virus that is growing COVID, which is growing in the alveolus, but not affecting, not inflaming your upper airways. That's truly amazing. That is our, our bodies. And in fact, the human race had never encountered that before. And one of the things we know about that is, is called SARS-CoV-2. That's because most of the DNA came from SARS-CoV-1. Originally, that was isolated in a lab. It came out of some lab somewhere. Wow. This is not a... So of some sort of biological weapon, but that's not for this show. Well, no, we, we don't, we, we can't go there and we will never be able to figure that out, that one out. <laughs> exactly. But literally, this is not a, this is not a natural type event. Okay. A, a best way to say it. So once people decide to come up with a vaccine, what are the steps? Okay. We looked at how we get most of our vaccines. The vast, some of our vaccines, we have oral polio virus, and you can actually take a, a weak or attenuated virus orally. But most of the vaccines that we remember in Western Europe, as well as the US, those are shots. They put them in a shot. We got tetanus shot. We got measles, mumps, and rubella. We got all these shots we get as children, and they shoot them into our arms, and we get IgG. The Pfizer, then. Moderna, we're going to go through all the different vaccines and we're going to give updates throughout this podcast every week. So make sure you subscribe. And if you're listening on my radio network, make sure you go and subscribe as well and check out all of the stuff. And if you're listening and saying, my gosh, we need another answer, start pushing your politicians to look at an oral vaccine, especially the only ingestible vaccine that Dr. Mark is creating that we're going to get out worldwide and it might end up in another country first, and you, you'll hear it first on the COVID-19 vaccine show. So thanks again, Dr. Mark, for such great information. Hey, thank you, Neil. You have a great day. All right. That was the COVID-19 vaccine show.